Thanks so much for that, Mark. I'm just going to pray for Stephen as he comes to the world. Father God, just pray for our brother Stephen as he comes to, to tell us what's been on his heart that you have given him. And Lord, we just pray that uh, you may bless him as he preaches the word, that you might give us ears to hear and hearts to understand as you speak to each one of us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So, our reading is from the book of Genesis. So, uh, the very, very first book in the Bible. And I'm just going to read um, a couple of verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering on the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from darkness. And he called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. And God called the expanse sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land. And he gathered the waters, he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kinds, trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light to the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the great light to govern the night, uh, the day and the lesser light to govern the night. And he also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to govern the day and the night, and he separated light from darkness, and God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, which was the fourth day. And of course, we know that uh, there's a few more days to go, but we're going to finish it there because that is a, a, a good place um, to finish. Now, what I wanted to um, talk about this morning is an evidential approach um, to what we um, do in the Bible and, and what we read. And I want to talk about a crime scene. Wonderful. And my dear friend Rob, who was going to be here this morning, isn't because he's suffering terribly with a shoulder. It's just the sort of thing he would say. So before anyone else thinks it, that isn't someone who fell asleep while I was preaching. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, Steve, Steve, I take it that's not the same either. <laughs> so I was 23. Um, I'd recently been promoted to sergeant and I got called to a crime. 
this was a, a club and as we went in it was empty now this was a saturday normally it would be very very busy on a saturday there was nobody there there was a bar and there were drinks on the bar half finished um, spirits and beer and what have you there were tables overturned there were chairs overturned and i said there was no one there well there was one person but he was dead and there was a man lying on the floor in the club and so when one looks at evidence one of the questions you ask how did this happen and there's four possible scenarios he died of natural causes he committed suicide it was perhaps an accident or someone killed him there are two other prospects and two other issues that you look at in evidence and one is something that is possible and the other one is something that is probable so you look at all these issues and you ask yourself okay could he have committed suicide possibly but then when you look and you see that he actually had um, a gunshot wound in his back that is no longer probable so we can wipe that one out could it have been an accident well it's very very difficult to shoot yourself in the back i would suggest so whereas at first glance that might actually be possible we can rule that out and that is not probable could it have been natural causes i would suggest probably not and so we're left with the last one somebody has killed him now the first three doesn't require anybody outside of that room to have come in uh, and in the vernacular used in these crime mysteries and have done it. Uh, you, you might have seen it who done it well this is the question we ask who done it the other three everything within that room could take care of that so he shot himself then the gun would still be there if it was an accident then he would have fallen perhaps um, bear in mind that he's actually shot in the back natural causes but for someone to have killed him they would have had to come from outside that room into the room and have done it now he'd been shot there was no firearm so someone had obviously come in done it taken the firearm and so the question is then how do we start to investigate this how do we look at it and there's a little rhyme i used to use which says i have six wise uh, working men who taught me all i knew their names are often when and why and where and how and if you work through that list then that actually starts to develop the evidence so what i want to talk about this morning is not to tell you what to think what i hope to do without you know trying to, to speak down and uh, be condescending is to perhaps help you to look at how to think in an evidential manner so when we look at scripture when we look at the bible this isn't blind faith as some people say you know this is a reasoned belief and if you look at it in an evidential way i think that you will be surprised because so many of us just look at it and we sort of give a half-hearted assent to it but we never really look at it in depth so that is what um, i hope to do so back to our, our crime scene there was no firearm so an investigation showed that behind the bar there was a child's carry cot about this big it was pink and it was thrown behind the bar that could or could not have been part of the evidence and we didn't know at the time and the story that i'm telling you and the issues i've telescoped it again because this investigation it took inquiries it took interviewing people statements lots of forensic that took months but i won't want me to speak for months i'm sure so i'll try and telescope it together so we used that and kept that as evidence 
in case, because you, you don't want to miss anything. And then you have to look at why. And if you look at the whys and the whens and the what's, and as I said about my six whys working there, why did this happen in that particular place, on that particular day? Why, why was he shot? Who, who, who would have done it? Who done it, as we say? And so we, we made further inquiries, and it appeared after a while that we identified who this chap was, who was lying dead on the floor. And he was an enforcer for a very well-known London crime game. So that started to put some context into it, because this was obviously a game-related killing of some description. And we still didn't know why, and we still didn't know the who's. Um, the where, it was a Saturday, it actually was the um, 7th uh, of January, and it was actually 1976, interestingly enough. And the reason that it happened on that particular day was because this particular chap went into that club every Saturday, drunk himself silly, and then staggered out. So this chap who was going to shoot him knew that, and so this was the scenario. He, he would come in and shoot him because he knew he would be there. Why was the other question, and the why subsequently turned out to be the fact that the guy was an enforcer, he'd been putting the strong arm tactics on this chap that actually had murdered him, it threatened him, he was moving into his territory, so it was a bit of fight over turf wars as well, uh, and so, I think I'm losing some sound here, yeah, and so he had gone in, the guy had a few drinks, shot him in the back, and run, taking the gun with him. Now, what he didn't realize was, and I won't go into the gory details, but he'd actually broken the shotgun at one stage. And when you break a shotgun, anyone that does any shooting knows that the cartridge is shot out. And one of them actually shot out, rolled under the body, but he was in such a panic that he, he, he did another shot and then he ran to the gun. So he left that behind. Now there's a famous French um, forensic investigator um, called Locave, and he, he came up with this principle that says, every contact leaves a trace. So if I touch Crispin, I'm going to leave some DNA on him, and he's going to leave some DNA on me. If you sit on a chair, um, you know, if you spill some blood, if you leave fingerprints, all of that, you're going to leave a trace. So every contact leaves a trace. And I'll come back to that later when we start to move from this crime scene to what I would call God's crime scene. This chap had been fairly thorough in what he was doing. He'd loaded the shotgun at home. He'd actually put it in the child's carry cot. That's was what that bit of evidence was that we subsequently found out. It was a sawn-off shotgun, so it was dusty. Put in there, covered it, did the deed, and went. Now, when he'd loaded the gun at home, he pushed the cartridges in and left a lovely thumbprint on the brass that he didn't think about. And so when he broke the gun, this actually shot out, rolled under the body. And so with every contact leaving the trace, we managed to find the fingerprint. This was a known criminal, went to the criminal's house, found this with the shotgun, the DNA actually matched up, fingerprint matched up, uh, there was gun oil in the carry cot uh, where he'd taken the gun and all that matched up. So there was that person uh, what had done it. Uh, you know, he, all the contacts and the traces um, had actually been left there. So I started thinking about this and thinking about God's crime scene and looking at Genesis. Now, I think it's important, and it, it was interesting to um, when we sang that last song and. Uh, just so I didn't forget it, I just took a quick screenshot of the last um, part of it. And we were singing, um, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. But the bit is, I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken. And I really think that today, um, in this sort of period of time that we're living, 
it's even more important to actually know what we believe and have a firm foundation that we don't waver. And to use a, an American army expression, and I don't mean this literally, but this is meta, well, I hope it's not going to happen literally, metaphorically, we have to have a hill that we are prepared to die on. Because so often today, we have seen the church has become more and more liberal, doesn't know what it believes. And if we don't know what we believe, how is anyone else outside ever going to know? You know, we need to have our, our boundaries, we need to be into scripture, and we need to know that it's true. We need to have that confidence um, and be, be, be sure, be warned, and I'm sure you'll know the world, as we call it, the non-Christian world, will be delighted to tear down your faith if it can, because the world is a very, very anti-Christian place at the moment. I remember preaching 20, 30 years ago, and I used to say to people, there will be a day, as a Christian, when you will be persecuted for what you believe. That day has come. Our government did a survey in 2019. They said the Christian faith is the most persecuted in the world, bordering on genocide. Now, we're not being murdered in this country at the moment, but it isn't that many weeks ago that a Christian young lady preaching at a Speaker's Corner, she was attacked by a man with a knife who repeatedly stabbed her and tried to kill her. So if, if you speak God's word out in public now, it's gone from people just going, oh, yeah, okay. It's actually gone from people to being very, very angry when you start to speak about God. Now, if you don't have a firm foundation, how are ever you going to have the courage to speak about God? And I fear that if we start to move over into liberal theology, some of us are never going to make it. We need to know what we believe and to be sure in that. Um, and so looking at a murder scene, looking at who done it, if we look at the creation, then I think it's pretty apparent that someone from outside came into our universe to create it. If you look at the whole world and the universe and the sun and the stars and the planets, even the Milky Way, which is one of the few spiral um, galaxies um, in, in the universe that we know of, all of these are perfectly set up to keep us where we are. I mean, we are reliant on other planets and the moon and the sun to keep us where we are. And I'm pleased in, in some ways, well, it's a bittersweet actually, because my friend Christy and Michael were going to be here this morning. They're now on holiday. Christy is a scientist and she's an expert on DNA. So, in a way, I would have felt quite sort of overwhelmed speaking about. And I know Nick is a scientist, so I'm only going to brush over this because I'm no expert in science. Our Earth is spinning at a thousand miles an hour. And we go around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. And if you think of our sun, and then we have Mercury. Uh, and then we actually um, have Venus, and then there's our little Earth, or our big Earth, uh, and then we've got Mars, and then we've got Jupiter, and then we've got Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, that used to be a planet, it's now a planet, apparently. All of these planets that are spread out, they hold us where we are. And then if you look at uh, the Moon, and also the Sun as well with its gravitational pull, everything is set up. It appears to most people that there is a design. If the sun was any redder, it would be too hot and we'd all burn. If it was any yellower, it'd be too cold and we would all freeze. Everything is set up for us to live. And it's been described, the universe, a bit like a hotel that you go to. And you book into a room and you find out, amazingly, that everything is just what you need. Everything in this room is set up for your comfort. Everything that you like, everything that you know, to keep you going and to have a wonderful time. Someone amazingly has known exactly what you need. 
And that's how our world has been described as, something that's set up perfectly for us to live in. And Christy, um, you know, who is an expert in DNA, I asked, she's a new Christian and she won't mind me saying that, I ask her, as a scientist, and she's involved in sequencing DNA, I said, has your knowledge of science and DNA confirmed your faith in God or not? And she said, absolutely. And she also said, DNA could not be formed by accident. There has to be an intelligence behind it. Now, we believe that intelligence is God. Um, if it's not, what else is it? Richard Dawkins, you may have heard, is one of the most virulent anti-Christian scientists. He even started talking about perhaps aliens from another planet, which is unbelievable for a scientist to talk, <laughs> because they're trying to find a reason without wanting to admit that there might be a God. So an alien seems far more palatable to some people than the fact there might be God. Um, and, and Richard Dawkins is a strange chap. I mean, he is one of um, several scientists that we're now called the, the new atheists, and it's him and uh, uh, you know several others, one now that I can't think of his name at the moment, but he actually has died, sadly. Um, but Richard Dawkins calls Mr. us... Richard Dawkins. Sorry? Christopher Richards. Thank you. Um, what Richard Dawkins calls us is died in the wall faith hits. Now, I quite <laughs> like that. I, I sort of think of sheep. But, but, so we're all died in the wall faith hits. And when you look at people um, like Karl Marx, he said anyone that believes in God is suffering from a mental disorder. Um, and then you've got the, the psychologist, psychiatrist, and Freud. He said anyone who believes in the creator of God is suffering from a wish fulfillment um, allergy. Um, and what they, and this means that we've got faulty reasoning. And, and you look at people like Nietzsche, who said, you know, God is dead. Uh, and Nietzsche also said that, you know, anyone that believes in God, we're not rational. There's something seriously wrong. So the world, you know, for, for many, many years has been very, very against any kind of a belief in God. But I would just suggest, I would postulate, and as I say, I'm not even attempting to tell you what you must think, but if you look at our murder, is it conceivable that nobody came into that room and yet this man was killed? Uh, he was shot in the back, there was a gun, but where's the gun gone? We don't know. It is obvious and it is logical that someone must have come in and done it. If you look at our universe, that is a far, far grander scheme. I would suggest that it's pretty obvious that someone, and we believe that someone to be God, must have set it going. If you look at the gun that shot this guy, it was a sawn-off shotgun. Now, if you fire a sawn-off shotgun, people tend to think that, and if you don't know anything yet, there's cartridges, and there are very, very tiny little shells, shells like little balls in it, like little ball bearings, really. If you fire a, a sawn-off shotgun, when it first comes out, it's held together as it starts to travel. And then, as it starts to lose inertia, it actually starts to open up, and after a while, it will drop to the ground. So when people talk about the Big Bang, and they talk about everything that's moving away at a vast rate of knots, and yeah, that's perfectly acceptable. I have no, you know, no issue with, with scientists that say that there was a Big Bang, but the problem with it is, if there was a Big Bang, who caused it? You know, there can't be a Big Bang from nothing. Someone fired the shotgun to get the cartridges going and killing them. So someone must have actually started it off. You cannot have something from nothing. So again, I would just suggest that if you look at our um, accidents and was it self-inflicted, um, you know, did someone do it, etc. If you look at the universe, could it have created itself? Could the universe come into existence from nothing? Could it think itself into being? I would suggest that common sense would actually say no. You know, without having any huge scientific knowledge, I think even most people would say. In the beginning, there was nothing, and then what? 
as far I, scientists now are actually saying nothing doesn't mean nothing. Nothing actually means, and they're actually now trying to say that nothing, you know, and there still were atoms and they were exploding. <laughs> and if you look at the, and, and, and this is a bit more technical, um, if, if, if you look at um, electrons and protons, they are set up in the universe, the numbers in specific ways. And if the numbers, if the ratio um, of, of electrons to protons, Nick probably know about this more than I do, if they deviate more than one in 10 to the power of 37, the universe would not exist. Life would not be anywhere because the circumstances and the situation would not be. And also, if the planets are not aligned exactly as they are, and again, we come back to this number, one in 10 to the power of 37, we would go spinning off into space. And just so you know what one in 10 to the power of 37 is, which is a huge, huge number. If you were to cover the whole of the continent, continent of North America with two pieces. <laughs> Sorry. We've done it. We've done it. Yeah, with two pence pieces. The whole continent of North America. And then you piled them up as far as the moon. And then you found another billion continents the size of North America. And you did exactly the same. And you've got what, just one coin in all those billions, 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 and marked it with a cross. And you sent somebody in with a blindfold and said, right, pick the coin out. The chances of them picking that coin with the X is one in 10 to the power of 37. So if you look again at, at the universe, these are numbers that are staggeringly huge. So my postulation, my suggestion, members of my jury, looking at who done it, God created, as scripture says. And what I want to do is try and give us confidence. Now I'm speaking next Sunday on Noah's flood. And I want to use the same sort of tactics. Look at the, the evidence, look at it evidentially, look at it scientifically, look at it, you know, as geologists would look at it, and then look at the scriptural side. Because if we have confidence in God's word, if we can actually say, we know that's true because, or we really believe that to be true because, that gives us that sure foundation that we sang about. Otherwise, if we don't know what we believe, then we're no more than serfs being led around by the world into every dark corner and every situation. And you don't need me to tell you what's happening in the world at the moment. You just look what's happening in our schools to our children. You look what's happening in the police, military, national health, government, local government. They are the most obscene. And I don't think it's too much to say that some of our children at school, they're being taught absolute filth. And we need, I think, as a church, and I don't mean just a little civil heading in church, but a church to speak against it. Because if we don't, who is going to? You know, if, if you do start to speak out, and let me tell you this, because we witnessed some of this, and I've had some of this personally, you will get shot at, not literally, metaphorically. You will find that people will accuse you of hate crime, and people accuse you of being bigoted, and you'll be called a fanatic. So the only way to escape all that is to pull up the drawbridge, all stay in the church, and we'll all put the kettle on, have a cup of tea, have some biscuits, and have a great time. And that's it. And the world outside, we're not interested. I just suggest that we need to be a bit more intentional in, in what we do as a church. I'm talking worldwide, not focusing on this church here at all. So that people know what we believe and they know that we're here. You know, people can walk by and have no idea. Um, you know, the church has retreated into its shell. It needs to come out. And I, the, one of the reasons I want to talk through these things over the 
next Sunday. And I've got like another four or five Sundays uh, leading up to the beginning of December. The same tactic, and I want to work through um, Moses, uh, look at Abraham and Isaac, uh, look at the kings, uh, look at uh, you know, the wars, uh, look at all these issues, and finally coming up into the New Testament, Christ, crucifixion, evidence for the resurrection, which is one of my favorites. I want to look at these things so we can actually look at scripture and say, that is worth reading. You know, that is really worth reading. That's a great book and we can trust it. So, you know, again, I'm not telling you what to think. That's up to you. But let me just encourage you to seriously think about it. You know, if it's not true, then what, we don't bother. You know, there, there is no, there's no purpose whatsoever. If it is true, then we need to take it seriously. And if I might just finish just by reading this to you. Now, this is something that um, I wrote not so long ago. And this came out of my feeling, I suppose. And at some stage, I would love to give you my testimony about how I became a Christian. You'll probably find something quite shocking, actually. But when I think about what God has done in my life and how it has actually changed the way I am, and if you knew me, um, 30, 40 years ago when I was first a police officer, you wouldn't recognize the same person. And sometimes I think when you really focus in and God just touches your heart, this is what I wrote. And I called it Nothing Else Matters. Shout out all you far-flung lands, call from shore to shore. Command the age-old hills and mountains to fall and rise no more. Cry out and bid the restless waves freeze in the turbulent sea. Tell the world that Jesus has laid his nail-pierced hands on me. Bid time stand still. Be silent every tongue. The rule of Christ extend to every land. Tell out my soul so every creature high and low will see that the Savior of the world has laid his nail-pierced hands on me. Fall from the expanse of sky, you stars of ancient light, the eternally displaced till all his darkest night. <coughs> Dry up your oceans and riverscapes, fill up with sand, you rolling sea. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, glorious Trinity. I kneel before the one who holds the four winds in his hand, the living Lord of lords who calls me to the future he has planned, who sculpts the living coral caves and all life by his decree. Jesus Christ, the only Son, who laid his nail-pierced hands on me. Seek out as did the ancient seers, the straight and narrow way. Jesus Christ, the gate to heaven, and within his portal stay. The wonders of God's paradise, no sinful eye may see, but only by the Christ whose hands were pierced for me.